Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps of Sobriety, my show on YouTube, and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefanie. Today, a fantastic interview is awaiting you because I've got Bob Nangle with me. Bob is like me, an expert in people pleasing. And we have done it far too long <laughs> to far too many people. I mean, you know that that story when in the airplane, when there's an emergency, put the oxygen on first. Yeah, nah, 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 nah. I was I was rescuing everyone and then some kittens and was wondering why the hell I'm so burned out and so crap. So therefore, when I saw when I read about Bob, I thought, I oh, know I, I need to know this woman. I need to get her onto my show. Bob, thank you so much for coming onto my show because today you're going to help me put a mirror in front of my face and in turn probably help the viewers and listeners out there to actually um, think about some new boundaries, even if they have never ever set any of them before. So tonight mm -hmm. is tonight. <laughs> Bob, welcome to my show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm a former people pleaser. A former people pleaser. Still, I'm a former <laughs> recovered codependent people pleaser, fixer, rescuer, rescuer, savior. And actually, I, I use that, the airplane metaphor. I use that all the time. But what they don't say in the airplane is you can't help someone if you're past out. And I think if they said it like that, it would be so much more impactful. And very true for that moment and for that specific scenario. But how does mm -hmm. it come that we all know this example and all say, oh, yeah, 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 I really need to do that. Yet, probably many of the, the women and men that you work with mm -hmm. are not doing it in daily life. What mm -hmm. makes it so difficult to transplant that that very clear logical thought into our mm -hmm. lives? What are the, the yeah? I mean, I, I was one of those people. Yeah, I was one of those people, and I think there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I grew up in American culture, so it's hard for me to speak about uh, the other cultures around yeah. the world. But you know, uh, being told that you're selfish in this culture is horrendous. Like the, that's like one of the worst things you can do is be selfish. So you should put other people first. And then there's the fact that like, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. And one of the mm. results of that is codependence. And, you know, what, when I got into recovery for codependence and started to learn more and more about it, I learned that codependence is usually the result of trauma. And when you're traumatized, you're, you're living in what I call lizard brain. And you have, because you're in fight or flight mode, you have the inability to access the executive functioning in your frontal lobe. And the thing about the self is that it is an abstract, ever-changing concept, which is developed in the frontal lobe. And when you can't get to that, you must go outside of yourself. And that's what codependents do, is we go outside of ourselves for validation it's where we pay attention it's where we focus and so we've got you know if you've been traumatized you've got that and then we have the cultural idea that it is somehow selfish to put yourself first and that taking care of yourself is somehow selfish and yet probably every boundaries coach in the world uses the example from the airplane because like you said it makes like everybody gets that yeah 
know, it makes so much sense on the airplane, but then when you're talking to people who've been bending over backwards and, and like super accommodating other people, their entire lives and putting everybody else first, the notion of them actually taking care of themselves first, or like I heard there's a speaker, um, Ashley Kirkwood, and she says, um, don't pour from your cup, pour from the overflow. Well, the only way you can do that is if you fill your cup first so that your cup is overflowing. And then like when you think of that, like what visually comes to mind when you hear that, you see this overflowing cup and it makes so much sense. Like I have extra to give you, but if I run my well dry, I don't even have anything in my well, never mind my cup, you know, so I, I can't pour from that. But somehow, um, I think for many people, it's a combination of growing up in like dysfunction, whether it's your family or the culture or whatever. And then these cultural notions that it is somehow selfish to take care of yourself. And, and I really believe that it is selfless to take really good care of yourself because like to carry this metaphor of, you know, when your cup is overflowing, you have so much more to give other people. And I can tell you, mm. Um, stuff in that before when I was a codependent and I was always like people pleasing and rescuing and saving and fixing what I can see now is that I went to the world to get so it was like I didn't know that I was a people pleaser and I didn't know that my motivation was ultimately that I wanted people to like me or at least think good, yeah. good things of me I thought I was doing all that because I was nice and as I got into recovery and I understood how people pleasing works, I understood that people pleasing is dishonest and manipulative. So it's dishonest because we're saying yes when we want to say no, or maybe we're saying no when we really want to say, yeah, I want to do that, but we're afraid of other people are going to think. So it's dishonest. And then it's manipulative because our end goal is I want you to like me. And so oh. we're manipulating, we're doing things. So you know, it's dishonest and it's manipulative. And so, you know, I was going to the world with like, like me, like me, like me. So I I went to the world with lack. I need you to like me. And then I also went to the world with lack because my well was dry because uh -huh. I was giving so much to you that I gave nothing to uh -huh. me. And now that I have really healthy boundaries and I take really good care of myself, I go to the world with abundance. So I go to the world Number one, because with abundance for, that I gave myself, that I've, I've, my cup overfloweth because I take really good care of myself mm. and I do things that energize me. And then one of my friends in recovery says, you know, whatever's inside of you comes out when you get squeezed. So if you're mm. full of like anger and resentment and fear and you're under, you get squeezed, then that's what's going to come out. But if you're full of like peace and serenity and love and all that kind of stuff, when you get squeezed, that's what's going to come out of you. And that's been my experience. And so I fill myself with love. So when I go to the world, that's what I have to give. Mm. And so when I say like, I used to go to the world and I used to give out of a sense of lack. And now I give out of a sense of abundance. And I know that a lot of people, especially when they first come to me to work on their boundaries, are afraid well, if I'm no longer a people pleaser, then, you know, I'm going to be a bitch or I'm going to have walls between me and other people. And the irony is you actually become closer to people mm -hmm. when you have healthy boundaries because you're telling them who you actually are, 
Mm. And you're being honest with them. And I think, you know, for me personally, the biggest um, impact on my ability to go from having no boundaries to having healthy boundaries was that I came to care more what I think of me than what everybody else did. So like I said, I, I wanted people to think I was nice or I was smart or helpful or generous or whatever it was. Meanwhile, I didn't give a shit what I thought of me. So I was willing to throw my personal integrity out the window so you would like me. And I'm no longer willing to do that. So my dignity and honesty as a woman in recovery is so much more important to me than what you think of me. I want you to like me, but I don't need you to like me the way that I used to. And guess what? I like me and I like me one because I'm a woman of honesty and integrity two I figured out who I am and what I like and I don't like through the process of setting boundaries and three I take really good care of this person I care about her right so I like me so you liking me isn't required the way that it was before now don't get me wrong I do want people to like me but if they don't I'm not destroyed the way that I used to be because I actually like me. And I don't just like me because I'm honest and I have integrity now, but I've actually gotten to know me because I was such a chameleon before. You know, I, I said True. yes. And I act like I, I, I happen to date men. So all the men I dated, um, m many of them liked American football. And so I was like a New York Giants fan two times. I was a New England Patriots fan. I was a Dallas Cowboys fan twice. Meanwhile, I don't care about football, but I was trying to be like a good girlfriend, right? So, so the actual me doesn't like football, you know? And so now I'm like, go ahead and watch football all you want. I don't need to watch it with you to be, quote, a good girlfriend. You know, very, very, very true. Oh, mm. goodness. Um, having said that, I mean, you you had so many wonderful points that you made there. I would like to, to focus on one to start off with. I mean, we are all uh, constructs of our genes and our environment. Mm. So mm -hmm. here you are, even you're when you're getting born in or being born into a dysfunctional family, often with with lots of anger, maybe domestic violence, maybe just abandonment at home. Uh, if you're uh, the, a child of an alcoholic, for example, it is very, very normal for you to become a people pleaser. Because that's one of the coping mechanisms where you actually will try to to control what is happening because you don't know if daddy is coming home with a toy or daddy is coming home and whacking you um mm -hmm. it is this uncertainty and there is not much you can do but mm -hmm. to actually behave in a guarded certain way to have a bit of a control over what will happen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. regrettably if that is happening at a very early stage it is is laid down as a core belief and and that is that is so deeply ingrained i mean you talk lizard brain yeah. you're talking really deep 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 down inside absolutely yeah so, the issues are in our tissues oh so true isn't it absolutely, Bob, absolutely. yes absolutely i mean trauma <sighs> penetrates our dna mm. 
So true. Yeah. And if you guys, if you don't don't think that, or if you think that this is some Vogue kind of rubbish, if you let me tell you about my job as an anesthetist, one in 10 people will have needle phobia. They don't like needles. Now, we actually know that this is genetically laid down 50,000 years ago. Our ancestors figured out if they don't get stabbed, they live longer. And so therefore, they actually realized that, wow, this is good. This is how we can survive. So they actually put it down into their genes, unwillingly and unknowingly, but that's what they did. And that's why you actually have got one in 10 people have got such strong responses. That's, they might have never seen a needle before, but the sheer fact of being stabbed is just <laughs> driving them into, into their own version of hell. And that is an example where we where we know that so much is laid down in genes, fear, mm -hmm. uh, certain things. But uh, then in the early childhood, um, things are getting compounded in a massive way by the way we are treated or by the way that somehow these these beliefs are laid down, rightly or wrongly so. Okay. So that was the first thing. Um, but then... You 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 pointed out the the influence of your society of the American society where you say being selfish is the worst thing you could be. Well, hang on, the 1980s or the whole thing about America is self-made. We're going out there. That's a success story. I'm a man. I'm a real man. Doesn't matter that I've got boobs. I'm a real man. Um, <laughs> you know, it's that kind of a of a go-getter society. Uh, mm -hmm very materialistic you could say mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so hang on so you need to be selfish to be a businessman how can you mm -hmm. not be selfish yeah well you know as you're saying this i'm like that's it's such a gendered thing and i'm not saying that men are not we're not told they shouldn't be selfish but i know for certain women are very frequently told don't be selfish like literally those words don't be selfish huh. you know nice girls are not selfish and huh. you know and i grew up as a woman so i i don't really know what it's like to be a man but i know like my brothers are people pleasers too oh huh. interesting you know bending over backwards to help other people practically like my older brother um i mean metaphorically slit his wrists for his wife when he was married to her and just did whatever he felt like he needed to do and just rang himself dry huh. you know but you're right so there is a, there is a especially in this culture uh, an individualism and this idea of like the self-made man you don't hear that said self-made woman that's not really a phrase that we use interesting interesting you know it's not really a phrase that we use yeah. so um Yet there is this this strong drive. I mean, how many books are out there? Breaking the glass ceiling, uh, equality, focusing on on women being actually go-getters or I'm probably using the wrong words. There might be better words that are more in trend now. But bottom line is oh, so many women out there are mm. putting themselves into a situation where they have to be the best CEO, the best uh, money maker, the best lover, the best wife, the best mother, the best daughter. 
Mm-hmm. Hell, this is this is this is exhausting just thinking about yeah, that. Right. Yet yeah. women taking that on. Is that people pleasing or is that selfish? What is it now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I know the answer to that. It's not necessarily the same for everybody, but I mm. think that there is a lot of pressure on women to be like a superwoman. So to be all the things, to be a fantastic mother, to be a fantastic wife and lover, to be you know excellent in the workplace, to be a good neighbor, to be a good mm. community member, to be a good volunteer. Exactly. You know, all of those things. And um, it's just impossible. And I think that, The pandemic has shown us so much how we've had these standards that are just impossible to live up to. And so, I mean, I know that many, many people have been devastated by the pandemic for many reasons, but many other people have found they hated their lives and they're Uh, not uh, doing uh, it anymore. uh, You know, uh, there's a uh, lot of people uh. resigning from their jobs. I know that um, I don't really pay attention to the news because it's not good for my mental health, but I've heard three times in the last, I don't know, month or so, someone else has said to me, you know, unions are picking up in the United States because workers are starting to realize that employers are not taking care of us in ways that we want and need to be Mm -hmm. taken care of. You know, so I think there, there is an awakening that is happening that the fast paced go-getter society where you work 70 gajillion hours a week is not serving us Mm. you know you you might get to have the shiny things and the big fat bank account and the nice big house and all that sort of thing but do you feel a sense of fulfillment do you feel a sense of connection to community do you feel a sense of connection to something greater than yourself do you have meaning i mean meaning is what matters. That is true. That is so true. And but you and I, we are preaching to the converted, because ultimately, <laughs> we we have gone through times that are not so nice. And it is those times that make us now appreciate the light, appreciate every minute. And we are living probably far more intentional than mm. maybe, maybe, I would say about ninety percent of the of the population. Uh, that was the number I was gonna say. Too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, I see that as a privilege. I see that as a gift, mm-hmm. and I I like that. It's interesting what you said with the with the people pleasing and the effect of COVID. Um, I certainly uh, had to focus very hard on maintaining my income. Um, as an anesthetist in private practice, if I'm not working, there's no money coming in. So therefore, I could not afford to get sick. Um, therefore, I became a hermit. I literally, nope, nothing yeah. social, nothing. Nope. You want to talk to me? Yeah, Zoom is cool. Um, or five meters distance. Like, yeah, that's cool too. Um, so I've changed my life. And um, my wife said, God, we have become really antisocial, isn't it? We don't have anyone around. We do and I thought about that and I thought, yeah, but I'm actually quite happy um, <laughs> because I'm actually looking after myself. And if mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. at four o'clock in the afternoon, my, my list might have finished early. If I want to jump into an old T-shirt and just do whatever I want to do, that's actually quite all right. So mm-hmm. there is again this kind of, oh, no, 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 you need to be social. 
you need to do that. What will others think of you if you don't? Fuck, that is still driving me. And it's still sort of in the back of my mind. Yet COVID was actually a little bit of a blessing there because Mm -hmm. it brought home to me that, guess what? The world is still turning. I still can talk to my friends over the phone or or in a different way. So it's actually, hmm, maybe there's something, maybe it has reinforced that actually it is all right to, to be more focused on yourself rather than saying selfish. Selfish is a negative word. So maybe let's Correct. rephrase that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on our needs. What are mm-hmm. your needs? And many people have no bloody clue what they mm-hmm. really desire. Mm-hmm. So is that some work that you're doing with your mm-hmm. with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So when um, I bring on clients, whether they're for group coaching or private coaching, the first thing I have them do is identify their top five values. Oh. Because when you're clear on your values, that is going to tell you where and when to set the boundaries. And a lot of people... You know, they hear out there, I have to find my purpose. I have to find my purpose. And they feel like they're lost if they don't have their purpose. And I'm like, you know what? You don't necessarily have to have a purpose, but if you know what your values are, pursuing those will make you have some kind of purpose, which is to live out your values. Yeah. And one of the phrases that I use with my clients all the time is, my boundaries enabled me to live my life on purpose. You use the word intentional. Hmm. earlier and i think you're right that that people in recovery um live much more intentionally than other people live on purpose i didn't know i wasn't living on purpose before (laughs) i got into recovery and my values like i now live up to my values so you know i didn't know that i wasn't honest when i got in recovery i truly believed i was an honest person and yet i've been lying about substances i've been lying about food i've been lying about people pleasing you know, all kinds of stuff for many yeah. years. Yeah. And, and honesty has always been really important to me. And here I was lying. And I think of that as that was like a crack in my foundation. It chipped away at my integrity to be lying. And, <laughs> and the thing about um, recovery. So, so my podcast, the name of my podcast is Fragmented to Whole life lessons from 12 step recovery. And the reason it's named that is because that's a description of my journey. I was fragmented. I don't think I understood that, but the process of recovery enabled me to kind of look back at my life and say like, I sort of felt like I was a bunch of fragmented pieces floating around in space (laughs) with spaces in between them, which meant other people's shit could leak into my territory. And the process of recovery has been the integration of those fragments. So at one, I got rid of the pieces that were inauthentic and weren't me. I got rid of those. And then the integration, I am now whole. So I can be rocked by things that happened to me, but I cannot be shattered by them the way that I used to because I am whole now. And I think that wholeness partly become, comes from I'm a woman of integrity who tells the truth, says yes when I mean yes, no when I mean no. And because... I was Miss Chameleon. I had all these facades up and I was super defensive. So like part of those fragments are the different facades that I was trying to live up to. And I was super defensive all the time. And so now all of that stuff has integrated into one coherent whole. And, you know, it's interesting. My first year or so in recovery, I remember looking up the word integrity in the dictionary 
And there were two different definitions. There's one that's essentially, you know, what we're talking about here. Integ- a person of integrity like does what they say they're going to do. Mm. Well, there's also the word integrity in the physical world. So a bridge that has integrity does not have cracks in its foundation. Mm. So I wrote the two definitions on a sticky note and I put them on the mirror in my bathroom and I looked at them every day and I was like, there's some connection between these two things and I don't know what it is. And it's wholeness. I eventually figured out integrity means wholeness. And it wasn't until like two years ago. So I've been in recovery for seven and a half years. It wasn't until about two years ago that I put together integrity and integration are the same root word. So when I say my my fragments have been integrated into one coherent whole, that's why I have integrity. So the process of getting integrity is integration. And I was like, oh my God, there's a relationship between those words. It was just, you know, mind blowing to me, which so much of my recovery has been because I was, I started therapy when I was probably 15. I'm 59 right now. I started my self-help reading frenzy when I was 24. I've So I've read a gajillion self-help books. I've done like workshops and retreats and workbooks and spiritual things and like you name it. And all of that stuff was like scratching the tip of the iceberg, whereas recovery <laughs> melted the iceberg. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, it really deeply and profoundly changed me. And I, I mean, I was like super introspective and yet there was so much I didn't know about myself. And the 12 steps of recovery revealed that stuff to me and got me to see these things. Isn't it bizarre? It's weird. You are saying words that are coming out of my mouth. It's, it's <laughs> virtually an identical, identical awesome. revelation. And mm-hmm. it is so bizarre. Um, I would have just put in there that I typically read a self-help book with a glass of wine in my hands. Um, which, which <laughs> oh, in its I own probably right. had a joint and a yeah, glass of wine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so absolutely. Here, uh, and it all made sense on a on a cognitive level there, but my behavior did not change. I did not change my habits. Correct. I still Correct. kept yes. hiding. I still kept hiding my behavior. That's yes. where you said the integrity. Yes, right. And also, I didn't know that I was doing this, but I was blaming everybody else. So I think for me, the yes. biggest paradigm shift of my recovery is coming out of victim mentality. Yes. And I'll tell you something, I could spot a victim a mile away because I was going to rescue that person, right? But when, like, it just was beyond me to perceive that I had victim mentality. And the thing, like, I would say, like, the crack in the door that started me to be able to see it was when I was doing step four specifically. And I was thinking about my former partners. And I would say, well, because what I always thought was, well, if he would just fill in the blank, then everything would be okay. And as I was doing the steps, I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's me acting like I got nothing to do with the status of the relationship. Interestingly, when I would talk to friends before recovery about the relationships, whether men or women, I would literally say to them, you know, you're 50% of the relationship, which means you're 50% responsible for the status of the relationship. So I could say that about other people, but I couldn't say that about mine. And the other thing that I came to see, which is very humbling, was that I thought about all my former relationships and that I was responsible for all of the good things 
and he <laughs> is responsible for all the bad things, right? And here's the thing, when you think that you have no responsibility for something, then you take zero action and you feel like you have no choices. And so all you do is blame. And, and you say things like, he needs therapy, give him this book to read, if he would just do this, if he would just do that. And, you know, what I've learned is, you know, it doesn't mean that no, so, so there's a line um, in the, I can't remember if it's in the big book or if it's in the 12 and 12, and it says, if I am disturbed, there is something wrong with me. But it doesn't mean nobody did anything. What that hmm. means is if you want to be undisturbed, then you're in charge of that. If you're waiting for them to change so you can be undisturbed, you're fucked. Hmm. But if you want to be undisturbed, then you're the one that needs to take action. But if you don't believe that you have any responsibility to take action, if you truly believe other people are to blame, then you will not take action. Hmm. And I think, you know, you said I didn't take any action before. That's the same thing with me. I think, you know, my first sponsor said to me, this was a sentence to her. Action, 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 action. This is a program of action. And that is a huge difference between uh -huh. all of the 37 years of almost continual therapy I went into. I wasn't taking action except for maybe reading a book from time to time. Mm. But then again, reading the book was, was escapism. You could escape into yes, it, and in your in your point. mind, you were in your mind, yes, you were saying, "Oh yeah, right. yeah, see, I'm doing something for myself. Yes, I'm reading right. this." And book. I was being like, "Oh, this is him. Yeah, this is him. That's who they're talking about." <laughs> you know, so it was like I was taking action by like pointing out, uh -huh. you know, my my exactly. partner. And I also the other thing about all those therapists, nobody ever said to me, "You grew up in a dysfunctional family. You suffered from trauma. You're codependent. You're a compulsive overeater. You're a substance user." You're dishonest, like none of that. You have victim mentality, none of that. 37 years of almost continual therapy and nobody said any of that stuff to me. And yet I figured all of that stuff out through the process of recovery and through mm. my fellow travelers and my sponsors and all that kind of stuff and changed deeply and profoundly. Yet the other stuff just scratched the yeah. surface. You know? And that is exactly the beautiful thing. That is when you change from victim to survivor to thriver. Yeah. Um, you're, yes. that is, and that is what, what a 12-step program or another good rehab program will mm -hmm. facilitate. Um, mm -hmm. it, is, it is action, action, action. You're right, but action in the right direction. So Correct. you need to actually yes. work with someone uh, who right. can guide you, who can listen mm -hmm. to you what you're saying, but also mm -hmm. listen to you what you're not saying. And, and challenge you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that was the beautiful yeah. thing. For that, I'm so yeah. grateful. For that, the 27000 that I paid for four weeks of all-inclusive um, holiday in uh, a rehab hospital was the best investment I've ever done because Excellent. it has it has pulled the wool from my eyes and it gave me an insight in myself. However, horrent and, and, and awful <laughs> the first look into it was but at least mm -hmm. now i saw the cesspit of my soul and and the, mm -hmm. the, the you know the demons in me and right. it was beautiful it was beautiful because it then allowed me actually to, to accept things to start off with mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. to accept me as i was in my victim mentality 
and mm -hmm. poor me, poor me, poor me another one. Um, so that that kind of rubbish thinking, um, mm -hmm. it was me then. And they allowed me to look at that and maybe challenge me and allow myself to challenge myself and try mm -hmm. something different. And that mm -hmm. was actually beautiful. That mm. was it was painful too, because now of I had course. to take ownership and mm. now I had to actually accept that maybe I had a contribution to all that. And yeah. maybe more than I even liked. Right. Um, but the okay. beauty of that is when you realize this is my part, you can change it. I think for me personally, the greatest gift ever. I mean, there's so many gifts, but the greatest gift for me was understanding my part in things, which is another way of saying I came out of victim mentality. Because if other people really are the problem, I'm screwed. But if uh, I have been causing all of this shit, then uh, I can change it. And I would say for me, um, you know, one of the types of boundaries that I talk about um, is boundaries of self-containment. So these are things mm -hmm. we need to contain or stop doing. And, um, so it could, some of those are things that only affect me. So for example, I used to give out personal and private information and make myself unnecessarily vulnerable to people that mm. doesn't really affect other people. It just affects me, but that's mm. a boundary of self-containment. And then gossip is another boundary of self-containment. I gossiped all the time. I didn't know that, which is insane to me. So I talked negatively about my boss behind her back for 19 years. That is the definition of gossip, but I didn't understand that that was gossip. And so that I needed to contain that as well. Well, that is something that doesn't only affect me because I'm creating chaos around me and I'm swirling in the chaos. And I also have a reputation of that, but it also affects everybody around me. And at my place of employment, I was there longer than everybody. So I created a culture of expectation that we don't solve problems. We talk about our boss behind our back. We never went to her and say, listen, this is not working for us. We need to change things up or we need to go. But I blamed her for 19 years for all the problems. And then when I stopped gossiping because I got into recovery, my resentment against her went down by like 90%. And I was like, oh my God, I'm the problem. Holy shit. And it doesn't mean she didn't do anything. It means she did this much and I made it that big because I talked about it over and over and over again for years. And I got other people to talk about it. So when I started having these boundaries of self-containment, whether they were things that only affect me or things that affect me and others, mm. I would say that shit cleaned up like 85% of the chaos and drama in my life. And part of that was not hanging out with other chaotic people. You exactly. know? So true. And that is, that is again, but you need to go through that journey of realization. Um, is it them? And then the pendulum suddenly when you're in recovery swings. Oh my God, it's all me. And so now you're shooting that direction and you, you just yeah. want to get the whip out, just whip yourself. And and, yeah. and that's, a, that's, that's a necessary kind of thing. But uh, the truth is somewhere in the middle. You are, exactly. the reality is, exactly. the, the reality is there are assholes out there. One in mm -hmm. 10%, oh, so one in 10, 10% will have a personality disorder and many personality disorder uh, affected people are not so nice. They're the jerks mm -hmm. um, out mm -hmm. there. So you can't do anything about it. They are still there. That's how they function. Okay. That's how they are right. hardwired. Um, right. And they will create maybe, you know, 10% of the people you know create 90% of the drama and trouble. Um, so, but how do you deal with that? Um, and mm -hmm. you you chose, or you you pointed towards one thing, uh, not surround yourself with them, number one. 
Mm-hmm. Number two is um, don't give them the power to get into mm-hmm. you. But that mm-hmm. I loved it how you said that earlier. When you're broken, all the shit from the outside can flow inside. Ah, oh, how beautiful is that picture? Mm-hmm. Because that's exactly mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that I am more resilient and more yes. more um, kintsugi. Um, kintsugi is the, the Japanese. I was going to say I don't taking. know that word. And okay. Kintsugi is a Japanese art form in which you take broken porcelain, etc. Oh, use gold with the glue. Gold? Yeah, that's right. Use okay. gold glue yeah. and create something new and beautiful. This yeah. new and beautiful will never be as strong uh, in in the sense of the old function of the cup, but at the same token, uh, it is something new and something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst whilst I love the, the principle of kintsugi, I um, uh, and I compare myself to that uh, at the same token, I disagree with it because I'm nowadays so much stronger mm. now that I've healed and now that yes. I have put that glue in there. This is yes. not glue that is super glue in there. Yeah. This is stronger. Yes. So well, for me, it's higher powered glue, you know. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. it's beautiful to actually see how far we have come. But if you if you hear us talking and we ring a bell with you, then congratulations. It it means so many things. First of all, um, congratulations because you guys listening to that, you have already taken action. You have actually mm-hmm. taken action by switching this this interview on, and now you're listening to it and you're reflecting on it. And it probably made you a bit uncomfortable because we might have just scratched too much on your taking a bit that Band-Aid off and you see the own pus coming out. Congratulations, you found the pus. It's like an Easter egg hunt. Now you've found it. Just nothing sweet in there. Mind you, it is bittersweet because you now get to address the pain and actually do something about it. Again, taking action. Put some medicine on it. Exactly. Drain the pus and maybe take some antibiotic uh, in a Mm -hmm. mental and and sometimes in a physical Mm -hmm. way, actually. And and get on with it. And that's the beautiful thing. And that's creating habits. That initially, the first time that you do that, will be a gigantious, is that a word? Gigantian? Ford. <laughs> it will be a, a hurdle that is larger than Everest. And you think you will mm-hmm. never ever be able to do that. But guess mm-hmm. what? That's the same thing as when you go into a gym and look at the racks of the weights and you, you can barely lift just the handle, leave alone the weights mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And now mm-hmm. practice that a little bit and maybe have someone show you how you lift a weight without hurting yourself. And you suddenly mm-hmm. think, oh, okay. And a week later, maybe, okay, it's actually not so big, is it? And then a month later, you're, you're just throwing these things around as mm-hmm. if it's nothing. Okay, so you've learned how to, to use that weight. Well, how would it be if you learn how to actually look at yourself in a different light and explore yourself? And whilst every single time you do it will be hard, it will become easier. And it will become more logical and it will become like a bit like a like a habit that you actually ask yourself, okay, this bloody idiot there, look what he has done. And okay, so maybe then automatically, the moment I say it, my brain mm-hmm. says, okay, um, okay, he has done that. Is it really, first of all, what I see there, is it really the right, the truth? 
or do I get the wrong the wrong information there? Maybe it's not what I think. If he has really done what he has done, okay, why has he done it? Um, and then the next question is, okay, fine. So he has fucked up. Um, yes. Yeah, so why do I let it get close to me? Why? What is my choice here? What is my my? Why am I so upset about it? Mm-hmm. And so this is sort of a sequence of questions that I automatically ask myself nowadays. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was just coming into recovery, I had no clue, no clue yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think, oh. you know, you're you're talking about acceptance. And I think that was another huge thing for me was learning acceptance. Mm-hmm. And I was in recovery for a little over a year when I heard acceptance is the answer to my problem today I had no idea what that meant but I was like there's something there and I was like I was around long enough to know like these people know what they're talking about I should listen up and then I remember getting into a situation I'm guessing it was probably in the car because I had a lot of attitude in the car I took out all my anger in the car I wasn't like screaming and yelling at other people I was doing it in clothes in the car but I was like that you know and all that stuff so I was probably in the car and I became aware I'm like oh I think this is me not being accepting. And I didn't know what to do. So I just said over and over and over again, acceptance is the answer to my problem today. Acceptance is the answer to my problem today. Acceptance is the answer to my problem today. And unbelievably, my tension went completely down in a way. I was like, oh, oh my God, wait, it's me. I'm the problem. Holy shit. Because the circumstances had not changed. And yet... I felt completely different. And it made me realize that I had this deep-seated belief. So let's say I was in traffic. It's probably what it was, that there shouldn't be traffic. (laughs) And here's what's interesting. The highway was built for traffic. So for me to think that there shouldn't be traffic on the highway is insane. (laughs) Or at least not traffic on the highway while I'm driving. That was a huge paradigm shift for me to see, like, I have this. And I thought I was one of those people who didn't have a bunch of shoulds. But I feel like my shoulds were below the level of language. It was a feeling of Mm. justification. Like, I get to drive on this highway. Nobody else should be here. And so that was like the key that opened the door for me. And I started to, it was like, I it had this cascade effect for me to see all these other places where I wasn't being accepting. And to me, accepting Mm -hmm. means I stop fighting. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard, I think it's, um, her name is escaping me right now. Um, Her, the work she could, she does the work. Uh, Byron Katie, she says, you can fight against reality. You're only going to lose 100% of the time. <laughs> you know, and Touché. that's what, when you don't have acceptance, that is you fighting against reality. It doesn't mean you have to like it. It just means that you stop resisting and stop fighting. And so what I realized was that I wasn't living in the present moment with there is traffic so let's just deal with it and so what I started telling myself in situations like that uh, I was like this is what's happening and it was like it was almost like I was inserting myself into reality this is what's happening 
this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And to this day, I still do sometimes actually have to say it because what will happen is this tension will rise in my body where I want to get defensive about this shouldn't be happening. It's like, well, this is what's happening. And it's an enormous relief. I don't walk around with tension in my body all the time anymore. Isn't it? But that is not something new. I'm just quickly trying to figure out the serenity prayer when it was actually created. And I think it's about 200, 300 years old. Yeah. Um, well, God and crowned. I actually think it's a, it's backwards. I, I don't think you get, it says, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I get serenity from acceptance. I don't get serenity and then I'm able to accept things. I learn to accept things and that gives me serenity. Nice. nice. Sorry, Reinhold Niebuhr, but I think <laughs> you got it back. <laughs> 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 Maybe it's up to us to actually rephrase that and put a new prayer out there yes, um, to, yes. to allow us to actually... No, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. When I first, the first day I walked into, into recovery, I read that prayer and it was big, big, huge sign there on the wall. Yeah. And I thought, how the hell did they know how I think? What do I feel? I, did they write that for me? Honestly, I was so, yeah. I was selfish. I was I, so, I they, 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 yeah. they, that's for me. That must be for me. And it was bizarre. So actually, in the first part of recovery, it is probably quite all right to Agreed. have it this way around. Agreed. It took me quite some time to come to that. But I also didn't have acceptance in the beginning. Yeah, touche. You know? Touche. You know, I, I just, I didn't have it. And I, I came to it over time and I realized, no, it's, um, I have serenity most of the time. Uh, and that serenity, a large part of it comes from acceptance. Mm. And having the courage to change the things I can. So when I've changed the things I can and I accept the things I can't change, ooh, mm. that's a major serenity. Because like I said, I'm not creating all that chaos anymore. Sure. So I've got, sure. you know, 85% reduction of chaos and then the 15% that's left, I've learned to accept it mm. right. and not fight against it. Yeah. And just, just a quick word here for those uh, viewers and listeners out there who don't believe in the Christian God or who have a, a different faith. Or are completely agnostic and don't 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 believe in anything. That's absolutely cool. When we talk about God, um, mm -hmm. that is only because it so happens that the twelve steps were basically created in the nineteen thirties. They were created by men who had tried everything else to beat their alcoholism, and they realized that it was really the power of the group and the mm -hmm. power of, of, of guidance mm -hmm. basically beyond themselves was mm -hmm. the way to success. Now, it was the 1930s, the, the, the person who actually was fundamental in creating it, with hindsight, is actually an agnostic. He, he was not mm -hmm. a Christian, mm -hmm. and right. he was, the, uh, he was uh, not believing in God. But he figured out that as a salesman, what, what sells in the 1930s? God. Mm -hmm. Everyone was God in the United States. So well, then, he put... Yeah. The Oxford movement is where the 12 steps came from, and they were Christian. So that's uh, another reason. Yeah. You know that's why, that's that. but I think, yeah, yeah, and, but I uh, think the, the term higher power, I think, is so much more accessible to so many people because all you have absolutely. to believe is that there is something exactly. greater than you, whether that is love, whether that is the yeah. power of the group, 
whether yeah. that is, I don't care if it's like, if you believe in the theory of evolution, that's more powerful than you. Mm. You know, you need Trichet. to have something. Nice. And it's helpful if it's something that you can actually turn things over to that can yep. take things for you yep. and I'll transform things for you. Yeah. You know, I happen to call my higher power God, but yeah. I, I don't believe, I have my own belief of what that means. It's not mm. some dude in the sky on a cloud with mm. a beard and all that. It's not, it's mm. really like the all of everything plus a little bit more, you know? Yep. I like yeah. that. I absolutely like mm -hmm. that. And and that's important to realize. So if you were already putting that hurdle up in front of you to say, well, now nah, it will never work. What she's saying about acceptance and, and about uh, people pleasing. Okay, I can live with that. But no, nah, no, nah, that God thing. Sorry. Therefore, the whole thing gets wiped off the slate. Mm -hmm. Nah, sorry. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Nice try. Didn't work. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. You are still responsible. And sorry, you still have the privilege to be responsible for your actions you still have got a privilege of choice mm. what how you respond to external uh impacts or things that that are that you don't like how you respond to the waves of neurochemicals that are washing over your your brain this morning i got up and i was in a lousy mood i was just in a stinking foul mood and there was nothing really that has triggered it. I can't blame anyone. It was just I woke up in a shit mood. So I need to deal with that. Yes, I can I can let it out and let others suffer for it. I can be angry at everyone around me, or I can just accept that today is not my day mm -hmm. and know that this feeling will pass. So I don't need now to compound it with actions that maybe I later regret. <laughs> that would have been me in the past. Um, mm -hmm. But instead, I actually this morning just, what did I do? I looked after myself. I actually mm -hmm. made sure that I had breakfast. I cleaned up the kitchen. It looked like mess from my boys last night. And I thought, well, okay, I can choose to be really, really angry. Or I can just say, fuck it. I clean up now. I did a clean up. And I was proud of myself for taking action. Mm -hmm. So I had and then you had a clean kitchen. Touche. And so it was all that. And by the time I had done that, so half an hour later, I was no longer in a bad mood. I was mm -hmm. sort of back to neutral. And that was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it, it reinforced in me that sometimes taking action and, and, and being grateful for the choices that you have mm -hmm. uh, can make all the difference. Mm -hmm. So. I really love how you said the privilege of like having choices and taking action. I love that notion. I've never thought of it as a privilege before, but as soon as you said it, it just resonated so much mm -hmm. to me. And, you know, speaking about like making choices, I really didn't realize before recovery that when shit happened, that I didn't have to be miserable. I didn't know that I didn't have to get pissed off when somebody pulled out in front of me yeah. in traffic. I didn't know that, you know, when my boss didn't follow through yet again after 19 years, that I didn't have to be pissed off. I didn't know that acceptance was even a thing. And, and I know, like, I always was angry in the car, not constantly, but like when things happened in the car, I got angry and I was much worse when I was alone. But, but when there was other people in the car and people would say things like, you know, why don't you just let it go? I was like, yeah. 
what are they talking about? <laughs> what does that mean? Like, and I, honestly, I think it's not that I sat there thinking about it, but when I look back, I think I thought they were like lying that they could accept that stuff or that they would let stuff like what? Cause I just had no models of that yeah. and no conception that it was possible to let shit go. Mm. I just didn't have the, the, I didn't have the ability to do it, but I really didn't have the understanding mm. that it was an option. So it wasn't a choice for me. And I think that having choice is an incredible freedom mm. of recovery. And I, for me, setting boundaries has been really helpful mm. in me making choices because setting boundaries is an experimental process because like, I, I don't remember what it was, but I remember the first time that I went to set a boundary, I was like, wham. And I went, oh gosh, that was way too harsh. And now if I, if I had known it was going to be too harsh, I wouldn't have done that, right? But the only way that I knew that it was too harsh was by setting the boundary and being like, oops, right? So you have to do some kind of an experiment. You usually make educated guesses about mm. like what you want and need and like and prefer and all that stuff. But we don't know who we are when we've been people-pleasing chameleons our entire lives. Uh, and so we go through this process and you start making choices. And then because I live my life on purpose and I have boundaries around my life, I've set my life up so that I get to choose who do I spend time with? Mm -hmm. When do I spend time with them? What am I doing with my time? You know, I used to give my time away to people all the time and I'm super <laughs> protective of it now. I literally... My ringer is always off on my phone. I do not let other people, because I, I would get upset when people would text me. And I'm like, they can text me whenever they want. Sure. I don't have to answer. And I wasn't capable of not looking or answering. Excellent. But finally just started turning the phone off. It's a boundary. You know, Excellent. I look at it on a regular basis, but I don't get mad at people for using a method of communication with me. <laughs> you know because they can't read my mind but i'm busy right sure. now and i don't sure. want you texting sure. me you know exactly and it's so beautiful i do the same thing um because i expect to there, there's this, still this core belief there i need to be there and if i'm not there for them oh my god or um maybe maybe an opportunity arises Ooh, if i don't now look at this phone maybe i'm missing out so oh, there, there are a lot of yes. yeah, there are a lot of a lot of things that are happening in my brain, yeah. many of yeah. which I'm not so proud of, but they are yeah. happening. And again, I need to accept that that is the way I'm I'm wired, yeah. um, and only by accepting and then allowing yeah. that to happen, but then look at it and without emotions making a choice and saying, okay, mm -hmm. that thought is right. So potentially there could be a business opportunity that I'm now missing out. Mm -hmm. um but is it really so important and is mm -hmm. it really i mean how many opportunities are there i mean mm -hmm. the opportunities are endless absolutely, mm, absolutely endless. infinite yes absolutely exactly yeah. so in right. business, and that's an abundance mentality yeah that is but it is really important there is this uh there is the fear of missing out fomo 
Uh, and that is something that has been driving me constantly. Um, mm. But also there is JOMO and the joy of missing out. Actually accepting. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> okay. Love it. I <laughs> so JOMO it. Is, is something that is very real in business terms, yeah. in investing point of view, yeah. because there will be so many things that you could put your money in had you had some money um, or how you possibly can create money. But uh, you can't do it at all. I mean, you spread yourself so thin that you will never see a return. Right. So you need to make choices and and mm. then uh, evalu evaluate. Are these choices right? What is the, mm. the return of investment, et cetera? Mm -hmm. So all those kind of things. But there's the joy of missing out. And that is something I'm that I'm continuously that working you. on. <laughs> I'm gonna say from FOMO to JOMO. And here's the thing, like as you're talking, I'm like, I don't have FOMO anymore. Mm. And I'm like, why don't I? And you know why? Because I live my life on purpose. I am mm. very purposeful about how I spend my time, who I spend my time with, mm. all that sort of thing. Like I'm very purposeful about it. And then if mm. something comes along, and I think I might want to take advantage of that, then I get mm. to change my mind. Mm. But but I love this notion of the joy of missing out. Because mm. when you're a people pleaser, you think you have to be involved in everything and you're drained. But when you're selective of mm. what you're missing out on, you can Oh, you can like what I do is I try to engage in things that give me energy mm. and I try to avoid things that drain my energy. So I have Very the good. joy of missing out on things that drain me. Exactly. And that's then again, that leads us back to being to living intentionally. Because yeah. yes, you could spread yourself so thin and being there for everyone, or you could say, okay, right now I'm enjoying this moment speaking to Bob and and really exploring boundaries and that is right now the joy that I have and in a moment oh my god I could clean up I could go shopping I could spend time with my boy I could mm. spend time with my wife I could cook um I mean endless opportunities uh and endless chores I guess um mm -hmm. I have already right now just talking to you I realized now stuff that I will now take my boy and go out and we go shopping, probably have something nice to eat whilst we're out there, then later cook something um, and just spend intentional time together mm. and maybe doing some chores whilst we're at it. Mm -hmm. But it's mm -hmm. the intentional time spending together. Right. So I've already made now that decision. And mm -hmm. so I will miss out on all the other things. And right. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to missing out on all the other things because right. I will focus on my young man and yeah. spend some time with him. That I is the way it. I want to live. And that is mm -hmm. the way I encourage you all to, to come along on that ride. And Bob mm -hmm. Nangler is exactly the woman who might be able to help you there. So, Bob, if, if things are really sort of gelling for some people and they got their aha moments during our interview, how can they get hold of you? Well, my favorite place to hang out on social media is on Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. You can follow my podcast on any podcast outlet, or you can find it at fragmentstohole.com. And then I have a bunch of free stuff, as well as an online course about boundaries at betterboundrieswithbarb.com. 
And then I'm not sure when this is coming out, but right now it is September 9th and starting on the 28th of September at 7 p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to be doing an eight week group coaching program called Better Boundaries with Barb. And I do private coaching all the time. And so if you go to Instagram, you can literally find, and I also have a ton of free resources on Instagram. I do reels Monday through Friday on all kinds of things about boundaries. And then I have tons of posts over the last few years about boundaries. And I just, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm 59. I was 52 when I got into recovery. So I was 50, I had 52 years of deeply entrenched people pleasing, rescuing, (laughs) fixing behaviors. And I've changed to the point where not only do I have healthy boundaries, but I teach other people to have them. So I don't care how old you are. I don't care how deeply entrenched the patterns are that can change and, and, and it helps to have someone coach you through it. I mean, I think I learned boundaries from recovery and it was all of it, but then I went and did a bunch of reading about boundaries and what it did for me was it was like, it retroactively helped me to understand, Oh, this is what I was doing. And this is what happened. Mm -hmm. But I also noticed in all these books that it was just a bunch of words. And apparently I'm a pretty visual person. So I started drawing all these images to depict what I was reading and it turned into a workbook that I had. So I created all these exercises for my clients to take what they're learning in the coaching for me and yeah. adapt it to their personal lives. And so I feel like not only do I have the life experience of having lived in my body, knowing mm. what it feels like to have horrendous boundaries, and then mm. in my body, know what it feels like to have really healthy boundaries. Mm. And I can articulate that, but I've created these materials to help people really understand it. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because all of the details are down there. Uh, guys, it is it is a privilege to evolve. And you guys have yeah. already taken the first steps. You have you have smelt the the lovely, lovely smell. It's like like you walk into a kitchen, you think, ooh, 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 what's coming there? There is something yummy waiting there to be explored. And I'm I'm privileged because I'm I'm this is now my 312th interview. And wow, I, that's yeah, great. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely fantastic. So I had 312 one-hour sessions of therapy. Wow. Um, but uh, <laughs> of of shaking my foundations, of making me think again, of making me sometimes re-feel certain emotions mm-hmm. but it allows me to grow it allows mm-hmm. me to become a different man a better man and mm-hmm. i enjoy that journey i'm grateful for the journey and mm. i i invite you all to come along but it all uh, starts with acceptance and with setting boundaries mm. and if you are absolutely crap in that like i was then maybe get in touch with bob and see uh, what you can how you can maybe create a new life that serves you better and in turn create a new you that can serve others better mm. so would that not be a lovely transformation maybe from victim to survivor to thriver that's certainly what i'm on on that journey and so bob thank you so much for being out there as a resource for people and thank you so much for coming onto my show 
Oh, my pleasure. This was an absolute joy. I still appreciate <laughs> it. And I am stealing from FOMO to Jomo. I'm going to do a post on it probably next week now that I think about it. Then, then I need to be faster. I get one out now. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, it's, it's, it is, we have got so much to share and to give. Right. And it is, it is, let's do that because we both are yeah. working on making this world a little bit better, one interview at a time, one post yeah. at a time. So mm-hmm. please, the more we can sing from the same song sheet the stronger mm-hmm. our movement can get isn't it mm-hmm. yeah. thank you <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for being on my show oh, and you guys out there you. you look after yourself and live with passion okay mm-hmm. bye <laughs> bye dream on, dream on, dream on, dream on.